Thank you, Tony and worship team for leading us this morning. It's really wonderful. Thank you, guys. It's really fun to get to do ministry with people that you like and people that you're friends with. And um, uh, Troy, can I get a little light? I can't quite read the... Um, it's really fun. There we go. It's really fun to be able to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, Tony and I have been doing stuff like this for, what, 14, 15 years? Tony's always encouraging when he leads worship before I speak and we're doing this together. I just got a text from him um, during the announcements. During the announcements, he texted me. He says, uh, here's, here's, here's a common Tony encouragement. Doug, be funny, don't suck. There we go. So that's, <laughs> that's my guy right there. Uh, yeah, I love this team. Wonderful, wonderful people. Um, Glad to be here at Hope. All right, so we are in a series on the Holy Spirit. We're counting down. There's one more week after this. And a few weeks ago, I ended the message with this quote that we'll put up on the screen. The quote is this. It says, when it comes to experiencing more of the Holy Spirit in your life, much depends on what you are open to experiencing, what you've been told you can experience, and what you're comfortable with. And I think that is so true. I mean, those are categories, I think, that are so important, which is why we take some time, just five weeks, uh, on a topic that we could talk for uh, years and years on, but we're just taking this snapshot of time because I, I'm hoping that, that some of these categories maybe that we've come in with or haven't had certain categories at all, that some of these things will begin to stir in our hearts. Um, maybe even we'd be willing to take some risks and open our hearts in some areas where it relates to connecting with the Holy Spirit um, so I want to be able to help us understand what we can experience um, and hopefully grow what we're maybe comfortable with and, and really hope that we would be open to maybe diving in, let's say, deeper in our connection and relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, so today, <laughs> I'm going to tread on some territory that's, I'm sure it's going to make some of us nervous, okay? We've got two more weeks here, and, and some of us here probably are going to be a little nervous about what I'm talking about this week and next week, and, and I imagine there's probably some other people in the room that are kind of excited, so we've got a little excitement. Hey, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like, and other people are like, oh no, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like, so... We've got both in the room. Um, does anybody land on one of those two? Yeah, nodding heads at least. Yeah, okay, you don't want to give your answer up, but I won't make you choose. Um, and, and what happens, what I've found over the years, that any of us that have strong viewpoints on the Holy Spirit, maybe we've grown up in the church or we've been taught certain things about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one way or the other, wherever we've landed, probably you're listening very closely like you know I would if I was sitting there. And probably, if you're like me, you'd be kind of wondering if this is going to line up with what you've been taught before. Um, so let's just get this out of the way up front. Um, most of us that do have kind of strong opinions on the Holy Spirit are going to take at least something I say today or next week. You're going to take issue with something I say. Okay, let's just, it, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to get it all right. I'm sure I'm not going to agree with everything that everybody believes um, but if this is an area that you've studied or been a part of, I'm pretty sure, um, I want to almost guarantee that I will say at least one thing that you won't like. My mom loves me, and I bet I'll say at least one thing. My mom, right? Yeah, she's laughing. But yeah, there's probably at least one or 20 things that she'll need to help me um, <coughs> be corrected on. But she's wonderful and sweet, so it's all good. Um, 
One of our elders here, okay, uh, he, he said something recently. He said, you know, that he, he, you know, he recognizes that I don't really dodge controversial or, or difficult subjects, that, that I hit stuff head on. And I'm not sure if that was a compliment, <laughs> but I'll take it that way, right? Because I, I know he loves me and I love him. So, um, and, and part of why I do like to not dodge some of these uh, topics it's not that I have all the answers. Um, first of all, it helps me dive deeper to make sure that I study and know what uh, I believe. But, but I really love and get a lot of joy out of teaching what Scripture says. I love it when I'm able to teach something that maybe turns the lights on for people. And, and it might be an area where, wow, that's a new idea. Or, and I know this is true when, when Jim preaches as well. It's like, oh, this is this is a new idea, or wow, that just got me free from something that's held me back, or maybe my life has kind of been held down because I didn't realize this was available or true, and so this is just part of what I love doing, and so what I want to talk about um, the next couple weeks is, is how some of how the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit fit into our lives today. Now, um, if we had a bunch of weeks, I would go through the list of all these supernatural gifts that you find in Scripture, and we'd explain what each one was, but I don't want us to be here you know, into this afternoon because we've got somewhere to go, and I'm sure you do too. So um, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and read through your Bible about what some of these supernatural gifts are if you're not familiar with them. And if you need some resources for further study, please email me, and I will send you some good resources. <clears throat> so... Now, here's where I want to start with this particular piece. Um, one of the things that I love about the denomination that we belong to, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is that we, as a people, refuse to divide over differences of opinion on some matters of doctrine and theology. Now, there's some things that are deal breakers, but we refuse to divide over some of these issues that traditionally in lots of other churches are sort of the, the boundary marker. And if you don't agree with this particular thing, well, then you're completely out. And so everybody needs to fall in line with the checklist. And that's not the case, though. In the covenant, um, uh, people in our denomination, and our fellowship, have very different views, biblical views, but different ways of finding their way around things like the end times or the rapture or the second coming of Christ or the tribulation. Uh, they go, hey, there's, this is not worth dividing over, and you can make a case a lot of different ways. Let's not divide like they do in a lot of other denominations. Um, we we kind of really stretch the mark for some people because we're not going to divide on the way that we baptize people. Baptism is crucial. It's important. The way that we baptize people, eh, we have opinions, but we are not going to divide over that stuff. We're not going to divide over the right way to do communion, that it has to be just this way, and it can only be members of your church who have gone through a class and been baptized in your... We're not going to do that kind of stuff. We're not, we're not dividing on those kinds of things. And typically, those issues, some of those I just listed, um, are, are these divisive issues that that people split over in denominations that give birth to entire new denominations. So groups will split because they disagree, then they divide over things that when you look back, it's like, really? Your denomination divided because you guys think that you baptize somebody, you lean them backwards, and the other said, no, no, you have to lean them forward? Like, that's a real thing. Um, so we don't divide over that kind of stuff, and that's why I love, and that's part of why I joined this, this uh, tribe, this denomination. Now, 
When I say the whole freedom in Christ piece, um, this is not to say that we don't have some central pieces that we agree on. There are many things that are central and essential to us, things that we believe that, you know, all believers need to agree on, um, things like, you know, Jesus is Lord, right? That's a pretty good one that we probably all want to agree on. Um, uh, Jesus is God. Uh, the Bible is authoritative. Um, we need a new birth in Christ. Important stuff like that. We're like, yeah, those are, those are really important to us. Those are high priorities. But there's lots of other stuff that we go, hey, people can see differently on lots of other issues. So let's just not divide over them. And in the covenant, we call um, that whole deal freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is the phrase that's been used since the covenant came around 134 years ago. Um, because we don't want to insist that everybody has to have the same viewpoint. And we recognize, like, honest, well-meaning, loving followers of Jesus can disagree on different matters of faith, and so we don't want to divide. If we disagree, we don't want to have to send each other off into a different corner and isolate. So when it comes to what we believe about the Holy Spirit, and particularly, I think, the supernatural, or what are called the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit— this is another one of those places where churches hold a very strong distinctive and they will divide from others that don't see it exactly the same way. So one example is uh, the denomination that I grew up in had a very high um, priority on the gift of speaking in tongues. And there were actually very specific wordings about how exactly tongues worked and their importance in the life of the believer today. So I grew up in that denomination, went to that Bible college, um, and when I went through licensing to become a pastor, I had to sign a document, and I think there were 15 or 16, they called them fundamental truths, um, and one of those that I had to make sure I checked the box on, if I was going to get past my interview and get the pastoral license, was this, it, we'll put it on the screen, here's the wording, the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the gift of speaking in tongues. And that's in the statement of these fundamental truths for this group. Now, I'm not trying to criticize this group. I think there's really some great things that these uh, folks have brought to the table in, in the Christian and church world. But what we meant by this statement up here was that anybody who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit would speak in tongues. That was the physical evidence. That was the sign that someone had been baptized in the Spirit. Now, I'll plan probably next week to teach more on this, but I do, um, I do, I'll just say this, I'll out myself, I do believe in the gift of speaking in tongues. I think it's real. I do think it's for today, and we'll talk more about that next week, and if you agree with me, um, you're awesome. If you don't, you're wrong. I mean, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but, but even that statement here on the screen, um, the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, that was a very important dividing line for a lot of people in that camp. Because, you know, I can see where it comes from. It's actually scriptural, which is important, right? You can go through scripture and see, yeah, there are times where it says someone was filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, which if you're not familiar with that, it's different languages that you don't know. And sometimes they're a human tongue. Um, other times it's an angelic tongue. So um, maybe more about that next week. But, but people would begin to speak in other tongues in the New Testament. And so it makes sense when you see that in different places through the book of Acts especially, that the apostles were like, oh, these people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. How do we know? Oh, they're speaking in tongues. That's how they knew. So a few examples like in Acts chapter 2, right? It's the day of Pentecost. 
the Holy Spirit, which Jesus had promised to the disciples before he ascended, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and what happened after the tongues of fire came down, they began to speak in tongues and other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So it came from the Holy Spirit. So that's one spot. Okay, how about the next one? Acts chapter 10. What happens if you have read this story? If not, read it this week. Uh, it's a great story. But chapter 10 of Acts, Peter, who's a Jewish man and, and doesn't think that if you're not a Jew, you can't be a follower of Jesus. But then he gets sent by God to a man named Cornelius, a Gentile family. And Cornelius' family receives Christ before Peter's sermon is even finished. <laughs> and then it says they spoke in tongues. And what Peter did, if you read the story here, is that he took that as a sign that, that, that even Gentiles could receive Christ. Because previously he thought only Jewish people could come into the family of God. But as these Gentiles spoke in tongues, it was convincing proof for him that they did become believers in Jesus and they belonged to God. So that's another place where this Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 19, there's another story where speaking in tongues shows up. Verse 1, Acts 19 says, While Apollos, so one of um, the followers of Jesus, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Then he found some disciples. Now it's interesting, people that try to discount this say, well, they must have been disciples of someone else. No, nowhere else in scripture does it call someone a disciple they're talking about disciples of Jesus, right? They're followers of Jesus. It's a pretty, you know, clear word. There Paul found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, well, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Uh, John's baptism, which is baptism in water for the forgiveness of sins, is what verse 4 goes on to say. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, in Jesus. Verse 5 says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they got baptized in water. And then it says, verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now these are some really cool instances and you don't want to ignore them and go, well, that wasn't that many times. Because it could have happened other times where they didn't even mention it. But the problem is some people see these instances and go, hey, listen, that just proves that everyone who's baptized in the Holy Spirit will speak in tongues. And listen, it does happen. It does happen. It does. Sometimes when people are filled and have this experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not unusual to speak in tongues. So it is a gift that's mentioned in the Bible. And since it's a gift, we have to trust that it's a good thing. But... Does it always happen that way? Does everybody who is filled with the Holy Spirit just speak in tongues, right? Like what if somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and the spiritual gift, the evidence, if you will, that they displayed wasn't tongues. Like what if it was, okay, a uh, different spiritual gift. They began to prophesy, or, or they had a word of wisdom, or a word of knowledge, or maybe they prayed for a sick person right there, and that person was made well, they were healed. What if it was one of the other supernatural gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Like, what if we saw them do all of those other ones except for tongues? Then what? Were, were they filled with the Holy Spirit or not? And 
like the denomination I had been a part of, um, they would say, nope, nope, you have to have the tongues thing. And it was just an interesting position. And I think probably many of you that have been around those groups have heard that teaching as well. And personally, after lots of this um, study and looking at it, I just didn't think that that was a defensible position from Scripture. Um, And so things happened like... When, when all my Bible college friends, we went to be licensed and ordained as pastors in that denomination, even if you didn't agree with that statement we had up there before that the initial physical evidence instead of one of the physical evidences is speaking in tongues, the initial physical evidence is speaking in tongues, even if we didn't agree with all of that, we just kind of check the box and sign off anyway, uh, because while no one would come out and say it, we knew that that was a borderline. Like, there was very clear, rigid insistence that, that, that in order to truly belong and minister in this denomination, you had to speak in tongues, which was heartbreaking for some of my friends who had grown up in that denomination, did all the study, kept waiting for God to give them the gift of speaking in tongues, and then when he didn't and they went through their interview, they knew that they were not going to get approved and allowed to be pastors there. It was very hard for them, but... Here's one of the problems of pushing the gift of tongues and of insisting that every Christian needs to speak in tongues. The problem is that it can create a class system in our faith. We can start to divide into tongue talkers over here and non-tongue talkers over here. And then each group criticizes the other and they begin to alienate each other. And we get really, we get really defensive in our posture and our belief which makes no sense when we think about it, right? It all starts over a gift that God gives. God gives a gift to someone, and what we do is we argue, we divide over whether whether or not that gift is real or if it's from God. And I just have to wonder, like, what does the Holy Spirit think when we Christians are arguing over these gifts that God gives? It's just got to be maddening. But friends... Um, we are in a context where we don't choose to divide over that stuff wherever we land on it. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit here at Hope, can we agree to offer each other some room? Can we have enough humility to admit that there is some mystery, that that, that maybe we don't quite have it all down pat? Can we actually leave room for our brothers and sisters who have different points of view than I do or you do? Can we do that? Amen? Amen. So with that said, again, I think that tongues is. It's a legitimate, it's an authentic gift. Um, maybe I'll talk more about that next week. And by the way, I know that when I say even that right there, it makes some of you really happy. Like, oh good, he's one of us. And others, you're like, oh, I don't know about this guy, right? So it just depends on what you already believe. Um, if you didn't know about me, like until just then, <laughs> you're, you're late to the game. So, um, <clears throat> but... Here's the deal. Like, I've seen people that they are clearly empowered by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit. They operate in some of these other gifts, these other charismatic gifts, but they don't speak in tongues. And so I go, I know, just from what I've even seen with people that I've been around, that not everyone speaks in tongues. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself, although he was definitely someone, he said he spoke in tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you (laughs) to the Corinthian church. So he was a big tongue talker, right? But he said this about tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in tongues? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Right there, he says that not all believers will necessarily have the gift of speaking in tongues. 
So again, I'm really glad to be a part of this fellowship and our denomination, the covenant. I'm glad there's freedom in Christ. Because in our denomination, holy smokes, if you've ever been to one of the other churches, they are very, very different. You have everything from very liturgical, Lutheranish type services with pipe organs and robes and liturgy um, to rock and roll, Lincoln Brewster, smoke and lights over at Bayside. I mean, there are different kinds of covenant churches because we have freedom in Christ. And within that scope, especially now that our church has become the most diverse denomination in the world, in that scope, there are people in the denomination who, who believe and they practice all of the gifts of the Spirit, tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healing. So that happens in our fellowship. And in the covenant, there are also probably those who believe that the gifts, and probably especially the gift of tongues, are not for today. Some people in our denomination probably believe, you know, well, anybody that speaks in tongues is probably a little wacky. So, so they may be talking about us, and they may be right, okay? Some of us here, that, that we operate that way, th that's okay. Because there's freedom in Christ. We don't always have to see things eye to eye. We still get to remain in fellowship and community. And so here's the deal here at Hope. Wherever you land and whatever you've been taught on this one, again, I just want to say it one more time. Let's not let our differences on this kind of stuff divide us. Amen? Amen. Okay. So another high value that we have here in our church and in our denomination is this importance of Scripture being the basis for everything that we believe as Christians. There's a, a phrase that was used by the founders of our denomination. Now, the phrase was, where is it written? Where is it written? It's one of these things that the founders would go back to all the time. And what they mean by that, and what we still mean by that, is that anything that we as a church embrace, anything that we hold up, anything that we teach, we want to make sure that we're drawing it from the Bible. Hence the phrase, where is it written? Right? You teach and go, okay, where's that written? That sounds good, but where is it written? In, show me, right? Show me in Scripture. And so when it comes to this area as well, of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, Scripture is our authority. We look to Scripture for all of our answers on this. We don't make up other categories that don't actually exist in Scripture that you can't take from Scripture. We look back at the Bible. And this is true when it comes to deciding what we believe about the supernatural gifts as well. Where is it written, right? What does the Bible say? So, are the gifts for today, or are they not for today, would be one of those questions that we'd have to go back to. Well, where is it written? And there's a group of Christians, there's a few different camps in, in Christendom, but there's a group who hold, they would say, um, the supernatural, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are not for today. Um, these folks would be called cessationists. Now, cessationists believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural ways went away after the last apostle died in the era of the early church. And some of them would even go as far to say, hey, now listen, we now have the Bible, so we don't need the Holy Spirit, we don't need prophecy, we don't need tongues, we don't need knowledge or wisdom, miracles aren't real, we've got the Bible, end of the story. And we do have the Bible, but the problem with that take, that position, is you can't find anywhere in the Bible that legitimately says, hey, once the New Testament's written, the gifts of the Spirit just go away. Right? So we ask, we're okay, so where is it written? Well, so far from what I've been able to see, it's not written in the Bible. That position's not 
in the scripture. And it, I think it takes some pretty serious Bible gymnastics to try and claim that the gifts of the spirit are not for today. And here's the reality, because I used to float through that world some. I think sometimes people who operate in those charismatic or supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're kind of frowned upon. Um, they're seen uh, as, as, as people that operate in the gifts are seen as people who, you know, they're less serious about Scripture. They're less serious about theology. They're less serious about doctrine. Um, some people would even say all oh, those charismatics, they just could depend completely on their experience, which is not always fair. It's not always accurate, um, but again, sometimes that characterization is a little accurate, right? I've seen some pretty wacky stuff in charismatic and Pentecostal circles. I've seen stuff that's pretty weird, stuff that I can't find anywhere in scripture. And we've all probably seen charismatic type leaders who are guilty of abuses of power or, or manipulating people, especially vulnerable people. So here's the deal. There's weird people on every side even in the body of Christ, right? We've got these stubborn people who don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit because they're scared to death and they're so intellectually driven that they can't imagine that there is some supernatural element of Christianity, so they stay locked down over here. And on the other side, we have folks that are... When I, when I do the other side, the unbalanced side, why do I always tend to Bruce's side? I don't know, that just automatically... I'm sorry, man, I just realized that that's the deal. So... <laughs> So on the other side, so you got the rigid over here, and then you got the unbalanced people that, that would call themselves spirit-filled, but rather than learning to actually walk with God in being spirit-filled, they just go from emotional experience to emotional experience, and their hearts never really get shaped or formed by Scripture. Um, the sad thing is, you can be in that whole supernatural realm, and if you don't pay attention, you don't actually get discipled, and that's not a good thing. So, so people like that, they end up getting so focused on the gifts or manifestations of the Spirit that they might not spend any time learning what the Bible teaches. Now, for some reason, there tends to be a lot of legalism in this unbalanced crowd as well, um, which is another thing that when people are trying to decide, do I believe in that stuff or not, and then they look at the people doing it, they go, I don't want to be like that, <laughs> right? And so on that whole legalistic side, um, there's tons of rules in a lot of those Pentecostal circles. Uh, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't dance, and don't go with girls who do. That's right. Heidi quit chewing tobacco just so we could be together. So <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. I'm in so much trouble. Doug, don't go off your notes. Yeah, sorry. But, but there are people in those fringe Pentecostal denominations that think, think things like women can't have short hair. Uh, they can't wear makeup. They can't wear pants. Um, they have to wear skirts, but, right, but it's, I just realized how weird that sounded. I'm in trouble here. Um, but also, you're not allowed to play cards. Anybody grow up in a church where you couldn't play cards? Yeah, there's a few of us here, right? Um, funny story about that. I once uh, had a relative who was a pastor in a very legalistic Pentecostal-type church, one week he railed against the evil of playing cards and he demanded that people in his cult, I mean church, throw away all their playing cards. And so the people were very obedient apparently. They took the pastor at his word. They did it. They tossed them all. And I think the story was a couple weeks later, he um, wanted to play Uno with his family. And they all looked at him funny thinking maybe he was joking, but he wasn't, you know. So Uno, right, it's a card game. So they'd thrown it away, right? 
They didn't know he meant, you know, playing cards with jacks and queens and kings and aces, and right? So they took him at his word, threw it all away. They also <laughs> threw, a bunch of the people in the church threw away any board games that had cards in them, right? What do you do with Monopoly without that game of chance or the community? Yeah. They just tossed them all because, you know, they didn't understand, but they were all relieved to find out, oh, he just meant playing cards, so then they all had to go out and buy new board games again, so... Um, I don't know, I think maybe he was getting a kickback from the local shop co, I'm not sure, but uh, all that to say, there's just legalism, there's this weirdness on, maybe on both sides, but when spirit-filled people act weird or legalistic, and then they demand that everyone else operate like they do, it can cause some of us who might be interested or open to shy away from the Holy Spirit. We figure, hey, you know what, I got my hands full trying to understand, you know, God being my father and, and relating to Jesus as my friend, Lord, and Savior, this Holy Spirit stuff, ah, I'll take a pass, right? Because the Holy Spirit empowering us, it can be a little scary. It can be a little nerve-wracking. It seems a little bit out of all of our control. And then when you add to that fact that it's already kind of scary and some of the people who embrace it seem a little weird, you can be a little skittish. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that I had a season of my life where I kind of had to resort out what I believed about the Holy Spirit. And for a long time, I didn't want anything to do with the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'd seen too much abuse, right? I'd seen news reports from phony faith healers. I'd seen televangelist scandals, stories of people that were feeling pressured to perform or to, to make the gifts happen or make it look like the gifts happen. And if they couldn't or didn't, then they felt guilty or inferior and it really messed with their faith. Ugh. that was enough to back me up some. And, and, and I'd also seen people who supposedly operated in the gifts of the Spirit, but they were mean and nasty. They were critical. They were angry and judgmental or harsh. But, but at least they could operate in the gifts of the Spirit, right? I was like, eh, I'm not sure, you know. Those people, those nasty, mean people, they don't look to me like they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Like they might have been filled with something else, you know, full of um, something. This was... Not the Holy Spirit. But eventually, in my own journey, I had to come back to Scripture and study what the Bible actually said. Where is it written? Again, a great phrase to remember. And so I couldn't embrace this whole cessationism idea that the gifts had all ceased and they were over with. I mean, it's pretty hard to talk to actual people that you know who've experienced the gifts and to try to tell them, hey, hey, no, 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 that doesn't exist because, like, they'd experienced it. Um, or, or it's pretty hard, you know, to try to convince someone that God doesn't heal people today if they've experienced a supernatural healing from God, right? We've got a fabulous story of that in our own family, um, but it's going to be awfully hard to convince someone in our family that supernatural healing, that's not for today, right? Because we've experienced something pretty miraculous in our family. Um, it'd be too, it'd be like, you know, trying to say, convince me that this wooden box here doesn't exist. I'd be like, well, I can touch it. I can see it. I can feel it. It's right there. You're trying to convince me it's not real. It doesn't exist. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've experienced and I have evidence to the contrary here. So when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, um, our experience does play into it, but it's not the top priority, right? That's not the ultimate convincer about whether or not the gifts exist or don't. Um, but it doesn't hurt 
for those of us that have had some experience in the supernatural gifts when we can see and support that stuff in Scripture because God does move in supernatural ways. I mean, just read through the Bible, right? He moves in supernatural ways. He did it back then. And the Bible is not a book of exceptions. It's not like, well, God used to do that in the past, but it's too bad you missed it. You don't live back then. You live today, so you totally missed out on the good stuff. No, that's, that's not how it works. See, Scripture is full of examples of what it looks like to walk with God today, giving us examples of how we can stay in step with the Holy Spirit, how we can do life in the kingdom of God. And so when it comes to this idea um, that, that the gifts don't exist and people go, I don't know, I've seen something different. Greg Boyd says it this way. He says, the fact that people are experiencing manifestations of the gift of the Spirit all over the world invalidates the theory that God doesn't move like this anymore. The theory is simply mistaken. And I think he's right. <laughs> but even this little statement here, I don't expect that. If you're kind of on the skeptical side of this, if you are a skeptical Christian that doesn't believe that the gifts are for today, I don't expect that to convince you. So here's the second thing that I'd want you to consider. Um, if you are a believer in Jesus, follower of Christ, and you base what you believe on the Bible, which is what all of us Christians want to do, right? That's what we're aiming for. So you base your beliefs on the Bible, but you think the gifts are not for today. There's a lot of scripture you'd have to like do some wiggle room around to figure out. And I'm just going to read one of many passages in the New Testament that we could choose if we were trying to show that the gifts, are the gifts of the Spirit are something that is intended for us to experience in our day still. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this, In everything you were enriched in him, this is Jesus, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. And the Greek word for gift right there is charisma. So it's the charismatics, the power gifts, right? You are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that last phrase, that's one way that Paul refers to the second coming of Christ. So this verse here, where Paul is writing to the church, it shows that the Apostle Paul is assuming that the charisma, the charismatic, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, they're going to be in operation until Jesus comes back, right? Until the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, until the second coming of Jesus. And considering, this is kind of funny here, because this is the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, um, and these next two books of the Bible, like Paul has to like correct and criticize all these things that the Corinthians were doing wrong. It's full of, of a lot of correction and instruction because that little church, that particular church had some pretty wacky stuff going on. But right here, he opens up the book by affirming them, saying they are not lacking in any of the gifts as they're waiting for Jesus to return. So, again, freedom in Christ here. But my understanding, and lots of the best theologians that I've read, understand this verse and others to mean that until Jesus comes back, and he hasn't come back yet, but until Jesus comes back, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit are valid. They're in operation. They are available. And so until Jesus returns, the gifts of the Spirit are supposed to operate in the body of Christ. These gifts are for today. 
let me take a little another angle on this because you have cessationists and you've got people that operate in the gifts, but there's a bunch of us kind of in the middle here. Um, Christians that we don't, we're, we're like, okay, I can see in scripture that it's not supposed to cease, um, but I don't experience the gifts today, some of them would say. Um, those groups would say, I don't have anything against the gifts, I just haven't experienced them. They might even shrug and say, hey, it's valid, could be for today, we just don't see it happening around here. And some of those folks are like, and we're not going to pursue it because we've seen weird stuff, okay? And I get that. And many of the denominations who kind of land in this middle ground, they follow a teaching or kind of something that was made famous by a guy named A.B. Simpson. Uh, A.B. Simpson was a great man of God at the turn of the end of the 18th, uh, 1800s. And he was the founder of the denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. There's lots of great things about that denomination. I used to work in a church in that denomination. They get a lot of things right. They do a lot of incredible ministry. But they were a group that didn't experience the manifestations or the gifts of the Spirit. Um, And it wasn't because they didn't believe those gifts were valid. It wasn't because they were against the gifts. But they adopted this slogan by A.B. Simpson, which we'll put on the screen. He said it this way. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit... Our posture should be, forbid not, seek not. Forbid not, but seek not. So they understand, like, hey, if you're actually reading your Bible and doing good study, you can't invalidate the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're good Bible students. They know, their, they know the word. They know it would take a lot of theological gymnastics to prove that, that the gifts are not for today. But, right, they know that. They know that there's no grounds to say, oh, no, the gift's ended, right? For, they're ended. They don't exist anymore. They know, yeah, you can't get that out of the Bible. But they're just not eager to see the gifts happen. And sort of the posture there is, look, if God wants to give us the gifts of the Spirit, he'll give us the gifts of the Spirit, but we're not going after it. Like, if God wants to do it, then I suppose we'll let God do it. Forbid not, right? Uh, but seek not. Don't forbid them, but don't seek them. And Greg Boyd, on this again, who was very helpful with much of the things I studied, um, he says, I submit to you that that forbid not, seek not, is not the correct, correct biblical posture. Because Jesus said, seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask, seek, knock. That's what Jesus said to do. Greg goes on and says, he didn't say, sit on your butts and it will come to you. See how I did that? If anybody got offended, I can blame the quote on Greg Boyd. You're welcome. Working on it. Um, But here's the point, right? God actually wants us to seek him. We're not trying to earn the gifts of the Spirit. That's not what it's about. We're not trying to strive or manipulate or beg or plead. God simply wants wants us to seek him. We're not trying to negotiate, oh God, if you give me this gift, I'll do blah. No, 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 no. He, he, He just wants us to seek his heart, to remember that he's for us, he's not against us, that he wants to give us good, good gifts. The ask, seek, and knock piece, it's in Luke 11. Um, it's where Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray, and, and I won't read that first slide. We'll go to the second slide here, verse 11. After Jesus says, ask and seek and knock, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake instead? Or if your kid asks for an egg, you'll give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, which Doug's translation here is, if you, are, if you guys are a bunch of schmucks, and you are, right? If even you know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus goes on and says, how much, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
Troy uh, was talking about this. Uh, we were talking about this this week where he noticed this. He's like, it's kind of a twist, right? It's like, hey, you think Jesus is going to say, hey, if you know how to good give, good give, good, blah, blah, blah. easy for me to say. If you know how to good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, we think he's going to say, how much will your father in heaven give you good gifts? But that's not where he goes. He kind of, Jesus takes it, he'll give you what? The Holy Spirit. Wow. I mean, Jesus says he will give the Holy Spirit to those who, what? Ask. So here's the deal. It says here, God just gives good gifts. The Holy Spirit, the power of God. They're given to us as a gift. And yes, it's a little mysterious and people sometimes do weird stuff with the gifts. But we have to trust that God is a good father and that he wants to Give and fill us with the Holy Spirit. And he just asks us to seek and knock. We just need to ask him. It's active. Ask, seek, and knock. There's an action going on here. It's not about sitting back. And so for me, this is where God's been at, my, at work in my heart for, for a while when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because I probably fell into that, well, I did, into that, you know, seek not, forbid not camp. Like, eh, you know, that's fine. If the Holy Spirit wants to do something, great, we'll let it happen. But I'm, I've seen too much weirdness. I'm not doing it. But then in my life, there was a shift and I was more open to it. And sometimes I would experience the Holy Spirit in different ways. I wanted to learn more and study more, but it just wasn't a high priority for me. I still kind of had the attitude of, eh, we'll see, right? Maybe I'd feel God's presence or his anointing, or I could sense the Holy Spirit. I could even sometimes hear what God was speaking about something, but then this week, I came in my study to 1 Corinthians 14, and I read the whole passage, but this time, instead of reading through it, I slowed down and I just read verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, I've read that passage a thousand times, I'm sure, but I never really unpacked that first sentence. Paul here, the Apostle Paul is saying, eagerly desire the gifts, which doesn't really gel with my sort of whatever posture of seek not, forbid not, ah, we'll see if it happens. And so I thought, well, well, that kind of that sucks. Um, so what's the, well, I got to find a way out of this, right? What is the Greek word for eagerly trans, translate to, right? You know, like I can get off the hook for my indifference if it means something different. Um, so uh, you know what? The word is translated eagerly. The, the Greek is Zaleho, which is the same word that we get our word zealously from. Which is like, oh great, that's even more urgent than eager, right? Like the Apostle Paul here is saying we're supposed to zealously desire the gifts. He uses the word zealously seek and desire the gifts of the Spirit. And then he makes me really nervous because I don't know that much about this one, especially prophecy. I'm like, oh man. And again, Paul didn't say, hey, once the Bible gets written, don't worry about it, guys. We got everything we need. So prophecy, tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, that goes away. No, no, he doesn't say that. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. And I kind of felt a nudge in my heart uh, that pushed against this posture that I have and I default to where I'm like, well, okay, God, um, yeah, yeah, it'd be really cool if you do something. I'm just not going to really bother seeking it. If God wants to give it, he'll give it. The posture that I have had there is not the same as what Paul is saying here, right? 
Paul says, seek it, zealously desire it. If God has these gifts for us, they must be important. He values it and gives it as a gift. So when he gives a gift to us, it's supposed to bless us and others. So there is value in seeking these gifts. Worship team, will you come? And friends, listen, if it's possible, this is just where I'm at. And don't worry if you're nervous, like, oh my gosh, we're going to become like a raving, charismatic, you know, church, and we'll have to install chandeliers to swing from. Don't worry that it mess with basketball. We'll, we'll hang from the hoops. I'm just, no. Um, we're, we're not going there. We're just saying if, if these gifts are real, if they're in Scripture, and they are, if the dunamis power that we've talked about a few weeks here, that power of the Holy Spirit, like a dynamo that wants to love and serve and help people around us. If that's possible today, why wouldn't we want it? Like if it was possible to speak a word of wisdom to someone or a word of, of knowledge, why wouldn't we want that today? If it was possible to pray for someone and see them healed, why wouldn't we want it? See, God intended for all the gifts to build us up, to edify, to enrich, to bless not just us, but each other. So why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we be zealous for everything that God has for us? So you know that whole idea of forbid not, seek not, that was something I was stuck in for a number of years, and it took me a while to see that that's not actually biblical, and and this week I was really convinced it was not consistent. And so that's our invitation really this week. And I'm on the journey with you. And we're going to pick this up next week. And we're out of time. So here's my question for today. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the power of God that's available to you and to me, when it comes to the gifts that God wants to give us, do we want it? And are we willing to seek it? Will you stand with me? These gifts are a way for us to connect and be built up by the power of the Holy Spirit and to come near to God, to be in his presence. And so as we sing this song, um, just allow your heart to reach out, to connect with God. And if it helps, close your eyes um, and just imagine being in his presence. And as we now worship, my prayer is, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit,